for me, it's easy to be ugly. I'm just a normal human. But like for Brad Pitt, like what an actor. <laughs> He's so willing to uglify himself, willing to be ugly. What was so brave? Welcome to Science of the Movies, a podcast that looks at the role of science in some of our best loved and most hated movies. I'm Abby. I'm Frida. And this week we are talking about Terry Gilliam's 12 Monkeys, a good movie. Yes, indeed. Good movie. So, what up, Sam's with a silent T? <laughs> you haven't forgotten, have you? <laughs> I do tend to forget everything. <laughs> Do you know how I noticed something when we've um, played quite a few episodes that I keep forgetting that we release an episode every two weeks? Do you notice yes, that yes, I keep you do. <laughs> I couldn't see you next week and you're like, not next week. And I go, what do you mean? Oh, sorry, yeah. two weeks. <laughs> I do forget everything. Um, speaking of oh, our, our Sams, yes. there's one special Sam out there that I want to oh, talk yeah. about. I want to dedicate to special Sam out there, Pam, because Pam rides with Sam. Pam. Pam is our very special friend who's actually a frontline worker battling yes. COVID for y'all. And go, Dr. Pam. Go, Dr. Pam. Pam actually did visit our office when we were working together. Oh, my God, yes. I really enjoy introducing Pam as a clown doctor <laughs> because she's a comedian <laughs> and a doctor, yeah. and I have introduced her as a clown doctor before. Um, anyway, she's working on the front lines. Go, Pam. Apparently, she's listening to this podcast on her commute, which yeah. we are not worthy. We are not worthy. So, Pam, this is for you. Thank you, Pam. Yes. Okay. So, let's get into it. Um, Frida, you picked the 1995 movie 12 Monkeys, a mm -hmm. first watch for both of us. Yes. Would you like to give us your summary of this movie? 12 Monkeys, directed by Terry Gilliam. 12 Monkeys is a 1995 American science fiction movie based on a short film called La Jetée. It tells the story of James Cole, a convicted felon in the year 2035, ages in the future, played with enormous sensitivity by Bruce Willis, who has frequent dreams of himself as a child, watching a man getting shot to death in an airport. Gee, I wonder if I'll come back to that later. <laughs> Cole is selected by a board of scientists to find the source of a deadly virus outbreak in 1996 that has killed nearly all of humanity, driving the remaining few underground for some reason. The virus is believed to have been released by a group called the Army of the Twelve Monkeys. But Cole is accidentally sent back to 1990 and his drooling time traveller tales have him committed to an institution by psychiatrist Catherine Raleigh, Madeline Stowe, who proceeds to show us why women in movie land shouldn't be trusted as psychiatrists. <laughs> there he meets Jeffrey Goins, a complete lunatic, but also an environmentalist and animal rights activist, played spectacularly by Brad Pitt. Back in 2035, Cole discovers that Goins eventually became the founder of the Army of the Twelve Monkeys, a militant animal rights group. 
Travelling to the correct time, 1996, with a quick stopover in World War I, Cole kidnaps Riley, forcing her to help him, and she slowly becomes convinced by him, and the two start to fall for one another, although by this time in the movie, Cole is beginning to question his sanity. When Goins and Cole meet again, Goins tells Cole that it was him that gave him the idea of stealing a virus from his famous animal-experimenting virologist father. Back to 2035. The scientists congratulate a mentally fractured Cole before sending him back to complete the mission by getting a sample of the virus. Back to 1996, when Catherine has evidence of Cole's time travel and the two decide that the virus outbreak is a foregone conclusion and decide to run away to the Florida Keys. On the way to the airport in disguise, they realize that the 12 monkeys have done nothing more than simply release all the animals from the zoo, locking up Goins' father instead, and laugh hysterically. At the airport, Catherine suddenly recognized Peters, the lab assistant from the virus laboratory, and also a doomsday fanatic who had attended a talk of hers, and realized that he was the one planning to release the virus all along. Cole fails to stop him and is shot to death in front of none other than eight-year-old Cole, closing the time loop. I guess. Peters, having already released the virus, sits down next to a woman we recognize as one of the scientists from 2035, and we can only guess the rest. I was totally along for the ride. Were you, Abby? <laughs> along for the ride? <laughs> I, okay. First, can I say, I love that this was a first time watch for both of us because mm-hmm. I think that that's really cool. Because even though it was a movie that's, you know, we're 90s kids, so it was around then for us. But like, I think it's really cool to just sometimes both experience something brand new. Um, so since I didn't actually know what the movie was about, I legit watched it and just thought, oh, God, we've accidentally done a pandemic movie. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I was like, oh crap, we we didn't mean to do a pandemic movie. <laughs> but in all fairness, out of all the pandemic movies that exist, it's the least pandemic-focused yeah, pandemic movie. It is. Yeah. I do, I have an internal struggle with this one. Okay. I did not enjoy this movie. <gasps> but um, it's not because it's a bad movie. Right? This is the thing. This is the okay. thing about taste. Like... There's many things about the movie that I did enjoy and that I can applaud. Mm-hmm. But in saying that, I think that what I didn't entirely enjoy was like the feel of the movie. It's just not the way I want to feel when I'm watching a movie. Drunk. I find it very difficult emotionally to watch like stories with vulnerability and, and like just the claustrophobia of like being stuck somewhere you don't belong and you can't ever convince them to let you out. I mm. struggle with that. I just, yeah, it's... I didn't I didn't hate it. It's not mm. like I said, it's not that it's a bad movie. It's just not my type of movie, so I did struggle with it a bit. Well, you I mean, you enjoyed it, I guess. It did you? was the kind of movie first of all that I don't think is really made by Hollywood anymore, but it's yeah. the kind of movie which completely transcends the genre, the storyline, the elements, the performances, the 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 elements that are supposed to sum up together to make a movie this transcended all of that. I guess what I'm saying, it's kind of like a gestalt where it's just more than the sum of its parts. And I'm sitting down there basically accepting the vision of the director. Um, And and I'm just like giving the storyline as if there is another subtext to the whole movie, which is, of course, that none of that was happening at all. And that 
he's mentally ill, which mm. might be, I mean, was that something that you were picking up on, that you were feeling I mean, more his fractured kind of his mind? There was a moment or two where I did feel a little bit kind of like, oh, I wonder if it's just that he's just a bit crazy. Definitely with the singing scientists and the um, <laughs> the, the baby bedspread moment. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> but I think they, they made it pretty clear that it was it was real. It's funny you say that because there are like a couple of different ways to watch movies. And for me, there's always a part of me that says, well, obviously it isn't happening because it's impossible that any of this can happen. and in a good movie I'd say (laughs) it's telling me something else it's using this context to communicate another thing because obviously time travel is not possible so it isn't about time travel on the other hand you can watch the movie and just take everything at face value and say he's traveling back in time that's what's happening that's what I'm being told so that's what's happening there are a couple of different ways to watch the movie like a lot of movies with fantasy elements in them you can watch them in a couple of ways. I think both of those things are happening. You know, there are plenty of hints yeah. along the way that it isn't happening in my mind. Right. Um, yeah, I think there's like this, and I think we'll get, we'll definitely get to th- that later, yeah. I think, talking about the, the mental illness um, yeah. side of things. But I mean, the movie, again, I think it's transcend. it transcends all of that because. Yeah. I do wonder sometimes, like I did wonder um, how different our views would be had we both watched it for the first time back in the 90s when it came out. Um, I would have hated it when I was younger, I think. Because when I was younger, I I liked just to be entertained very clearly. I think that it's like clearly I'm just being entertained. It's like giving me something. I didn't think I really interacted with movies the same way I did now, like where it's sort of challenging me and pulling me in. Oh, okay. So this movie, like, yeah. it, it, it sort of drew me in. Okay, well, we didn't watch it in the 90s. We watched it now. So let's start with the movie itself. And mm-hmm. starting with the movie itself, let's talk about its director, the Terry Gilliam. And if you don't know that he's one sixth Python, you can be forgiven, but you should educate yourself. I'm aware of what it means if a movie is by Terry Gilliam, what to expect. There's going to be like a total insanity to it. Yeah, there's a quote that yeah. someone wrote in a newspaper that re- references Terry Gilliam as the resident madman of the movies. It It's so amazing. Like it was so, it was so amazing to watch. And there were so many moments that I just... Did oh, you have a favorite, actually, happy. did you have a favorite moment or a favorite scene? Yeah, I think when the animals were released... Oh, the, cool. the wackiness of the animals yeah. being released at the end with the this tango music, yeah. the animals being oh released at the end. It's like I think the peak wackiness of that whole thing and the Amazing. surrealness of animals yeah. like marching around the marching around the the city was like oh, that was definitely my favorite yeah. point of the movie. I really enjoyed the scene in the car when he wants her to play the music. Oh yeah. It was so, like, it was really vulnerable and, like, heartbreaking. There was just something about it where he was just, he was like a kid. Yeah. Do you know, he was like a child who was so excited by the ad as well and then confused that it wasn't an ad for him, but then the song and he was just so happy and it was just like, so it was all a bit, oh, yeah, it really was. It, that, that scene definitely got me. So let's talk about the cast for a bit, um, starting with Brad Pitt. You mentioned in the introduction the spectacular performance. 
Did you know that he wasn't actually a huge star when they signed him? And that it was only during filming that Legends of the Fall and Interview with the Vampire came out. So by the time they were putting this movie together, he was then suddenly hugely famous. Yeah. They were like, oh, okay, cool. Oh, they took a real gamble with with Brad, fairly unknown Brad Pitt. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. He, there's a lovely little interview with Terry Gilliam where he says that like he was super hesitant originally to give him the role, but that by the end of shooting, like he's quoted then as saying, I can't say that I directed him. I just put him in the right place with the right people and he worked his ass off. I just thought that was a nice little tribute to an actor. Yeah, sometimes I feel like with Brad Pitt that you can see the brush strokes, if you know what I mean. Like um, there's a lot of movies where you can really see him trying and I was really worried that I was going to see that here, like that he's just, you're going to see him trying too hard and it's going to feel awkward. And I feel like that often with Brad Pitt, but I did not experience that. Like I I was, he, 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 first of all, he moved so quickly. It didn't really give me yes. much time to think about it. But no, 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 I didn't feel like he was being mocking. I didn't feel like mm. he was being ironic. I I just felt like he was, he was crazy and he was, he, he just flowed. So it was like actually choreography. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I wrote down to check if it had been made into a musical because of those scenes. Because, like, I mean, my background is I've worked in musical theatre for many years Mm. and it just immediately, those couple of scenes, I was just like, this feels like a musical number. It feels like he's about to burst into song and perform a musical number at this moment in time. It's really interesting. No, he he was awesome. But And then the contrast between him and Bruce Willis's character then being just... I actually loved that on that note, the way Bruce Willis was like not bothered at all because he was so stuck in trying to figure out what the fuck was going on that he didn't seem to like care or notice what Brad Pitt was saying. I, oh my God, I yeah. loved it. I love when the camera's kind of on Bruce Willis's face and he's kind of talking to himself and they're kind of half having a conversation, not having a conversation. They're on like two, two completely different planes of reality, I would say, yeah. conversing with each other, not understanding what each other's saying at all. Except we find out later that Brad Pitt was kind of taking him quite seriously, actually. (laughs) Listening quite carefully. Oh, my God. Yeah. I just remembered. Did you... I've got two things to say about Bruce Willis. Firstly, I just want to say, like, do you think he's just looked the same for the last 30 years? Yeah, obviously. Like, it's him and Paul Rudd. Like, they're just from a different stock, the two of them. They're just like, "What, what is going on here? I'm so confused. What is this genetics? But, um... Did you, did you see the line um, that he has a line in the movie? All I see are dead people. Oh my God, isn't that amazing? Yeah, <laughs> it's like foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah. It's like weirdly foreshadowing. <laughs> we, talking about Brad Pitt and Bruce Willis. Yeah. There, is, there is somebody else in this movie. There is a woman. Oh, yeah. Madeline Stowe oh, is I'm in sorry. this movie. She has equal billing to Bruce Willis and Brad Pitt. She's arguably the thread that pulls the story together and leads it to its ultimate conclusion. Did you enjoy like her character? Did you enjoy the 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 I mean, I want to say the women in the movie. Were there women in the movie? Well, I think her performance is amazing. Like all three of them Mm. are amazing. She's amazing, but it's definitely the weakest link of. the, The romance is the weakest thread of the whole movie because I didn't see it coming. And, and again, we'll talk, we can talk about it a bit, a bit later, but I think like the role of her in the movie, to put a woman in there and to have to make her be of romantic interest, 
It's yeah, it's mm. definitely uh, something which we don't see as much anymore. But it's funny we're watching so many movies, Abby, one after the other, and mm. it's like I can't help it. Like it's overwhelming to me what is going on with women in movies again and again yeah. and again and again. And you watch so many movies from the nineties. I'm like I can't take it anymore. <laughs> it's like yeah. like I'm like I never really had it one in front of the other like one after the other after the other like in front of me like this is where I start to go like wow women are just there for for men to look at in the movies like it mm. they put the one female character and they make her behave in a way that makes no sense um for a professional like that and uh, I yeah. don't know like it's it's overwhelming to me watching the way women are represented in movies it really is it really you've is. said it you said it in a previous um episode about um them being there in the service of the men and it's so true it's just it comes up so much i brought it up before and it's the same thing here and she's a beautiful actress and she i mean her performance is amazing and it's riveting performance but it's it's difficult to see this kind of thing one after the other that's all right yeah that's fair yeah well i'm sure we're going to talk about um madeline stowe a little bit more later in terms of her character uh, in when we're looking at the science side of things. So for now, let's... Just before, actually, just before we move on to tropes, can I just mention David Morse? He's the actor oh, yeah. who played Dr. Peters, the guy yeah, who yeah. was out to destroy the world. I just want to bring him up because it's kind of like similar to your um, James Redhorn thing. I feel like he's <laughs> one of those actors who just... He always pops up and I just think we should know his name. So David Morse. David Morse. That yeah. is all. Oh, there's another. First of all, Christopher Plummer is here as well. But there's another. Oh, yeah. um, there's another person in here. Christopher oh. Maloney. Christopher Maloney. Elliot Stabler from Florida. Yes! Oh my god, I forgot. Oh god, it was so How exciting when he turned up. I. He am... was so young. Such were a you, baby. You were Benson and Stabler, Nutter. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. I for years. Oh yeah. I stopped eventually, but like, yeah, I definitely watched it for quite a while. <laughs> Oh, if we can, you get the Law and Order music and play it. Dun dun, gong 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 gong. Dun, dun. Ah, gong can we just gong. have that? Can we have that as our in between segments? Dun, dun. <laughs> gong gong. Yeah, nah, freaking okay. love it. So, <laughs> speaking of the guy who was out to kill us all, um, on the surface, this movie is a science fiction set in a dystopian future where a virus has ravaged the planet. Scientists are searching for a cure, and in order to get a pure sample of the virus, they use time travel to find the people who released it on the world. That's a fair assessment of the the kind of general idea of the movie, right? Mm, yeah, on its face. But if we peel back the surface a little bit, and look at what maybe some of the intentions were from Terry Gilliam, there is a little bit more detail in there. Did you come across this yourself to look beyond the sci-fi aspect and focus a little bit more on perceptions of the world? I think this movie is very much about how we perceive reality. She actually states the theme, psychiatry is a new religion. We decide who's crazy. We make a decision about who's crazy and who isn't crazy based on this sort of agreement between us about what what reality is or what the status quo is. And he mentions as well germs. Oh, um, people used to think that whoever believed in germs was crazy. And yeah. it's just all waiting for a paradigm shift to happen and those people are no longer crazy. Yeah. So I think that's that's really what the movie's about. Do you agree with that? Yes. 
that's interesting I like that you said about the germs thing because I actually um, I think it's I, I don't want to get this wrong but I think it's the story of Dr. Lister um, he, it's yeah there was I, I listened to a podcast all about him once where the guy who the doctor who one day just kind of went hey I think the patients are getting sick because there might be germs on our hands we should wash our hands yeah and all the other doctors went you're crazy don't be so stupid what, look at this idiot <laughs> over crazy. here you're crazy what so he started washing his hands and washing his instruments and his patients stopped dying <laughs> but people still were like no he doesn't know what he's talking about it took so long <laughs> So yeah, it's really interesting. Um, so yeah. I, just, I just loved that little bit. I loved that line when it came into the movie because I was like, hey, hey, I know that. I know that. I know what that is. But it's about. true. It's, it's totally true. true. But, that is crazy. Uh, but yeah, I do. I do think like I, I found it interesting because it was like that our own perception of the world is dependent on the information that we receive and how we process it. And I just found that I don't think it could be more relevant to not only like our society today of like fake news and clickbait media, but to our current situation of a go- like a global pandemic and like the distribution of misinformation. It just yeah. felt like it really resonated with me in that kind of idea of how do you how do you filter through and find what's real? Yeah. And, you know, there are definitely times in life I find where I just go like, am I actually just going crazy because how like I read something in the media or see something and I just go like how is that even happening right now even a step further that all of our Facebook feeds or our YouTube feeds use an algorithm that picks Mm. things that we want to see so we create a reality by continuing to click on the things we want to click on it continues to feed us things that are in line with what we want to see or what we want to be you know a representative representative of reality so actually in our own devices looking at our own devices especially now we're stuck in our own homes and we can't even interact with the outside well we very much get a version of reality that we want and then we call other people crazy and they call us crazy and we all just call each other crazy because oh no this is my reality wait well this is my reality and you go like my god how can somebody have such a different version of reality than me like that's so crazy but like this movie makes so much sense yeah on so many levels it's so relevant to today so relevant yeah Yeah, really is i can't wait wait to get into this more later on in this episode but we're really going to get stuck into this about why it's so relevant today okay well then so we'll uh, let's move on to our first segment of the day our trope of the week yay frida what hit your trope chords in this movie um, it was so hard to come up with a trope because um, it's a Terry Gilliam film. It's not going to be riddled with tropes, you know? Mm. So I had to think long and hard and I got real <laughs> meta about it. My trope of the oh, week okay. is... My trope of the week is when a handsome actor or actress becomes a bit deformed for a movie and then they get an Academy Award nomination. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and, then they get oh an Academy, and then they get an Academy Award nomination. <laughs> That's my trope. <laughs> because oh, Brad God. Pitt has a fake eye and he, he's crazy. <laughs> and then he w- gets nominated for an Academy Award. <laughs> Can I just name a few more? Hello, Charlize Theron yeah, gets like a fake. Well, she oh, gets a fake. Day, yeah. And then she gets, she wins it. Nicole Kim and fake nose wins it. 
So when beautiful people uglyfy themselves by like the smallest amount and then go, oh, I totally can't believe it's me. Can you believe it's me? Oh my God, I'm so different. And then they get an Oscar. So that was my trip of the week. I was really, really scraping the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I came up with. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I have a googly eye. Oh my God. Can you believe it? We Someone reiterate that we do me. think he was great in the movie. <laughs> I know, but it's just so amazing that someone yeah. so good looking can like aglify themselves that much. Like, wow, it's such an amazing actor. I can aglify himself. Like, wow. For me, it's so easy to be ugly. I'm just a normal human. But like for Brad Pitt, like what an actor. <laughs> He's so willing to aglify himself. Willing to be ugly. What? Oh so, brave. so brave. So brave. Um, what was your trope (laughs) okay my trope (laughs) my trope was a bit yeah I I mean I did struggle as well like you said it's not a massively tropey movie um, in a traditional sense but there's definitely one element to me alright that I was just a bit kind of like ugh it's the um, that kind of the classic time travel proof you know you tell someone something like innocuous from the future in order for them to believe you yeah, and then it happens, and they're like, "Oh my God, you're telling the truth! You time traveled!" <laughs> and it was like it was the boy stuck in the well. So yeah, I'm calling it my stuck in the well. Oh. So the boy is stuck in the well, and he's stuck like, "Oh no, well he's trip. just hiding in a barn." And I just I loved that that was all it took. You know, it was like, "Oh, the boy wasn't really. Oh, he's telling the truth. How could he possibly know?" <laughs> it's like he's probably. Stuck I just in a don't barn think somewhere. time travel would be like the first thought that you would go to especially as like a you know a trained psychiatrist you might be thinking I I feel like she would be more likely to believe he was psychic than he time traveled so I was just like Ah. you know just for me that's a thing just this kind of you know idea of like and it's always something like that it's always something on the radio or like oh in in a minute he's gonna say this and then he's gonna do that and then the people are like oh 100% (laughs) yeah one plus one equals time travel yeah, there's just this one thing. It was one thing. He said, <laughs> he, said he was going to be in a thing. barn and he was in a barn. Yeah. Oh at at that point in the movie, he is no longer thinks he's a time traveler. He's like, I'm, I'm done thinking I'm a time traveler. I'm obviously crazy. And she's like, no, you're not crazy. You're a time traveler. You, you said he was going to be in a barn. He wasn't a barn. <laughs> <laughs> So let's get into the science aspect of the movie, shall we? (laughs) There's two real like environments of science depicted throughout. There's like the futuristic lab with the bank of dystopian looking scientists set in 2035. Um, And then there's the 1990 mental institution with the patients on the wards and some of the behind closed doors meetings with the all white male doctors calming their emotional female colleague. Where would you like to start with this? I think we'll talk... First, we'll talk about the sort of less the less interesting one, which is the where you left off, which is the psychiatrists yeah. taking place in 1990, Um, the psychiatric institution and the decision making boards and all these sorts of things. Yeah, I guess we can talk about that first. Um, yeah, I don't know. Something I really loved about them was that um, when he comes in there and he's in front of the board, um, and uh, by the way, I really liked that there was no like undue cruelty or sadism from the guards or yes. from yeah I there really was one that. guy that i was like i don't the like the guard 
bit threatening. Yeah, I'm like you, yeah. But I like that they were like, you know, it was like, I need to make a phone call. And they were like, okay, make make your phone call. Yeah. Do you know, yeah. we didn't have to sit through that. Like the, the movie wasn't this whole thing about him being stuck in the institution and not able to make the phone call. It was very kind of, it made it yeah. feel a little bit more realistic to what those types of environments must be. Yeah, they weren't being like a cruel. Um, and yeah. similarly, the psychiatric institution, it wasn't this bedlam yeah that you see in a lot of movies it would look like it was just underfunded and do you think those meetings like those board meetings things where they're having with her is that like patient review meetings kind of vibe probably yeah i mean i don't i'm not i'm not exposed to that kind of thing in real life so i I really have no idea but yeah yeah it felt quite realistic though yeah none of it felt like undo yeah but then it was obviously an obvious setup to contrast with the 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 futuristic environment <laughs> oh my god so good it's so, I've got, so good so can i can i say about like just in terms of the set decoration right because it was yeah. really because in this in the documentary that i mentioned earlier that i was watching um because they were working on such a small budget they used like old power plants and like decaying buildings and yeah. they actually ended up working the script around the things and the areas that they found because they were just like, let's just use what we can. And there's an interview with this guy who's, um, his name is Crispian Salas and he's the set director. And he talks about like scavenging for objects to use like from scrap metal and anything he could come across at a flea market. And that just gave me such nostalgia. I felt it so hard because I spent nine years working in theatre and like the amount of times and shows where I would have to go out prop hunting on a budget and you're just going you're like everywhere you're down in the scrapyard trying to grab stuff and you're like I can make something out of this or you're at all these little markets just trying to like is there any chance you have a bowl that looks like it's from 1955 (laughs) it's just like it's oh it's an intense thing to do so I just I really felt that and I just wanted to just give a little shout out to the set decorator Crispy and Salas because I feel you man I feel you and it actually is in line with the fact that the humans have like cobbled together scientific research when they're like after they've gone underground they're like reviving Mm. scientific research so everything is kind of like stuck together with sticky tape yeah that's the sense that I got and I love how it like doesn't quite work yeah you know it's kind of shit yeah i thought it was awesome a little bit shit all just a little bit shit yeah and the more i think about it the more it's obvious that he's in a delusion because of how much the board of scientists is like a reflection of the board of psychiatrists it reminds me a lot Mm. of like other movies when someone is like disappearing from their reality into a fantasy and things mirror like Pan's Labyrinth. The more I think about it, the more I feel like it's really obvious to me that he's in an illusion because <clears throat> when you first meet the scientists and they're in this sort of creepy like line interviewing yeah. him on this chair and I think like, what kind of scientists, where does this happen in science where he's being questioned by these like crazy steampunk scientists and then when you see the board and the institution questioning him, it's so obvious that it's a reflection of that. That's um, so weird that you say that because I wrote down the question. Do you think that they made the future one seem a bit mad to make the audience question if he was time traveling or if he was mad? Because they all seem bonkers. Yeah. 
they were so bonkers. It was so awesome. <laughs> God, there was this bit where they go from face to face and they're all wearing different colored tinted glasses. Oh, what? I that? didn't pick that at all. Oh, my God. When they're, like, each going from one face to the other, and they're like, oh tell us. And, and they have different tints in their glasses. But, again, same thing, is that they weren't overly cruel to him. I suppose, like, it's that idea. Did you say it earlier in the episode, or did I fucking hear this somewhere Imagine else? Imagine it in a dream. Remember. Yeah, this is the thing. It's tripping my mind so much now. Just about the idea that, like, um, the scientists, they're a bit kooky, but then... They've also been underground for like 40 mm-hmm. years and and living through this whole thing. And so they're going to be a bit kooky because, you know, know. their whole experience is this in this new kind of idea of trying to trying to advance science and come up with this cure for something from underground with nothing yep. but pre 1990s yep. technology. Yeah. Like what? I hope I hope if this virus drives us underground, why would it? Um, oh. That we revive science, something like that. Um, and then the contrast then from those guys on the board to the, like we said, the, the contrast from the the institution, the two different institutions, and then the two different boards of doctors and yeah. specialists and stuff. But then our main scientist being the one that we really, the only one we really spend time with being Catherine Riley. And we get like just the glimpses of the futuristic scientists and her male colleagues. But like, I'm sure you've got some thoughts on Catherine's depiction as a scientist, her abilities as a scientist. I've got some thoughts on that board meeting um, discussion with the, with the colleagues. I'm sure she's like a really good psychiatrist and everything, but. Just because, yeah, in that in that scene, they they've got these lines, and as well, where they're like, "You're under tremendous emotional stress," and mm. they're like, "You're you're being defensive, isn't she being defensive?" And it's but it's hard to root for her in that moment because it's like you're acting crazy, girl. <laughs> we can't root for her. How can we root for her? She's making a yeah. terrible decision. I actually, found an academic um, paper about what we learn about a mental illness or psychiatry from movies. And it does talk about this trope of, this is why I didn't bring this up as a trope actually, because I have Mm. it here. I wanted to talk about it in this section, um, which is that in in the real world, it says in this paper and we'll put the, in the episode notes, we'll put the link. Psychiatrists are rarely involved in a romantic relationship with their patients. This is extremely rare and it's an unethical phenomenon that has been depicted in many films. So and we're female therapists and it cites one of these movies, right? Um, you know, where you have a lady doctor and a patient that leads uh, to a relationship and the female yeah. therapists violate the boundaries of a doctor-patient reality. So it's fascinating, but it really gives the wrong message about the inter- integrity of certain doctors. It doesn't happen in real life. It's not something that happens, but in the, in the movie like line, suddenly you're supposed to think that it happens all the time. Well, because it's, I feel like it feeds into this idea that, like, women always want to fix men. Whew. Do you know? He's a broken man, and so she she needs to fix yeah. him. And she falls in love with his vulnerability. Yeah, it's only because he's hot, though. If he wasn't hot, she wouldn't. Mm, is he, though? Excuse me. If he wasn't hot, we wouldn't have a story. Oh, yeah. Well, it's because there has to be a love story, and how do we get the love story in? So she can't be the time traveler. 
like that has to be Bruce Willis. So yeah. where else is the love story going to come mm. and the connection is going to come right. through the psychiatrist. So, so it's the female oh. carer and minder and she's there to yeah. help him and guide him and through that connection and she yeah. realizes that, you oh know, God. either You're he's so right, right or she's crazy too. So yeah. Yeah, she starts to bond with him because she wants to help him figure it out. And that's so true. Yeah. It's like they're writing the whole idea of like, oh, she's a woman. She wants to fix the man. She wants to help him. She's a nurturer. When in fact, I'm sure like uh, she would have just been terrified. And and um, yeah. I actually, this is related to my what the fuck. So I'm going to stop right there. Okay. Right so shall there, we Abby. bring the conversation into the actual science bit then? Oh, yeah. We? But, uh, oh, but, oh, 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 no, no, yeah. no. I have no? one thing about the environmental okay. science that I want to talk about Go. because they cut, they have very small amount of um, screen time to the virology lab mm-hmm. where the viruses they're dealing with are airborne. And the, oh, he's wearing like a suit and the guy's wearing like a jacket. There's no PPE. <laughs> no PPE, Abby. None. It's the PPE trap. They're just hanging out. He's like, hello, I'm just in my lab. We need the airborne viruses, and yet there's no PPE. <laughs> it's a theme. It's a theme with movies. PPE interrupts with costume design. Totally. Yeah. Anyway, that's all. So, yeah. All right. Okay. Now we shall bring the conversation into the science. Um, okay. But what science are we actually talking about? There's mention of a global plague. There's mm-hmm. the action of time travel. Neither of these are really explained or really discussed. The main aspect of the movie is like a psychological one. The science and action is related to her role as a psychiatrist and her conflict of wanting to help him, but also feeling a gut instinct of some sort that he might be (laughs) telling the truth. So I don't know that we had a big scientific explanation at any point in the movie, but Mm. there was definitely some some, uh, bits and pieces here and there. So where would you like to begin? What was the... What really, what would you like to tell us about this movie scientifically? There's a few things in here and I really wanted to talk about like mental illness and the way that movies need to address mental illness. Mm. Um, because um, if you're going to take the route of that this is a psychotic break and this is all a delusion, um, I did read that a psychotic break is, is, is a little bit like the collapse of the space-time continuum because you oscillate between sanity and insanity and it's kind of like traveling through different dimensions, like you're traveling to different mm. places. Um, and I think what he experiences is that, let's just say, the argue that he's had such a severe episode and his mind is just collapsing into itself and his imagination has just concocted this entire thing where he's at the center of all of it. Um, mm. And then it become, that becomes overwhelming to him. God, the time traveling going back and forth and the whole thing becomes so overwhelming that he starts to then talk about, oh, no, 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 I understand now. I'm divergent. I know. But even actually it's funny because he thinks he's crazy and then he goes, you're not here. And then the time travelers, the, the scientists from the future kind of convince him that they are real and then and that's when he goes back and says i understand i'm divergent he borrows that phrase mm-hmm. so what, what did you think what did you think that I means think, i think now just from what you were saying there as well i think what i understand it to be is that he recognizes that he is that he is having some sort of a break and that he is creating these alternate realities and places um with these other people 
that that's what his mind is doing and his mind is diverging and and making him believe he's in two places in two different times um and that he believes it but that because he believes he's there he also has to buy into the delusion so yeah. that's why he had to convince the scientists that he was okay and convince them to send him back ah. because he couldn't do it himself. So Oof. then they send him back. And once he gets to her, he's like, okay, I know I'm crazy. I know that that's not real. I know that they're not there, but I'm back now. And I know what I need to do to keep me here so that I don't have to go back there. Yeah. And then but she it's... goes and convinces him that he's in fact not crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, so yeah, no that 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 kind of comes together a bit more for me now actually. Didn't you get the sense that he's becoming he was so this is the thing about his performance that was so moving to me that he was exhausted from it. Yeah. He was broken yeah. and exhausted from 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 being that crazy and from like he he was easier he just wanted to accept that it's crazy and it isn't real than having to go through this time traveling thing. But yeah, the idea that a psychotic break does feel like you are oscillating between dimensions and different worlds. That's what the experience mm. is like. Different realities. I mean, it must be exhausting. It's devastating. But but then there's something really amazing that I was reading about in regards to mental illness on film, right? Right. Because all of that, what I was just explaining, and the way that is set up in a movie, what it does for us viewers is put us on the side of the crazy person who's ostensibly mm. the crazy person it sets up that they are um the messiah he's a hero he's the center of it and that's how we're introduced to him immediately only then to maybe be considering that he's crazy because i think that in a lot of movies the mentally ill person has to either be a villain or a hero it's very right. rare that you just have someone who's just he's just mentally ill and i think brad pitt is a really really good example of that like he's in the villain he isn't a hero he's he is just someone who is yeah. who is a lunatic but there are i think that the whole idea that um, a mentally ill character has to have this alternate representation where he is a hero is actually done it's a screenwriting technique so that we can sympathize with the crazy person mm. And I would go so far as to say we kind of experienced that uh, four weeks ago with Altered States, that he's crazy, he's not crazy, but he's set up to us as the hero of the movie, as the person who has found the answers to life, and we're siding with him, we're siding with him. We don't really want to accept that he's crazy, and we might have to accept that he's crazy by the end of it, but this is just a mechanism to get us to side with him. I felt mm. I thought that was, like, really, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Do it's... you think that's interesting? <laughs> Yeah, I just, I found it very, um, you see, for me, though, because I feel like you read quite a lot of the, um, the idea that he, that this is a delusion and that then it's a shared delusion, whereas I just believed it. I was <laughs> like, he's a time traveler. <laughs> Have you seen the movie The Witch? It was like maybe three years ago. No. Yeah, it's a horror film, kind of, I guess, but it's about, a, it's about, um, mm. It's about a family, a Puritan family who's sent away because they're too radical and like they're the edge of edge of the woods and there's a witch terrorizing them. And you watch the movie and for me, I'm like, clearly there's no witch. Why? Because there's no such thing as witches. <laughs> so that was very obvious to me the whole time I watched the movie. 
they believe as a witch because back in the day people believed in witches so they believe as a witch there's no witch because there's no such thing as witches and like that is kind of how I always watch movies which is why I really struggle with fantasy genre because I'm like I can't Uh, whereas I love I love fantasy (laughs) I love it because I love the idea that there's no rules here right like it's it's not (laughs) my nightmare no that's the thing I'm like this is cool there's no um this doesn't follow the line of the idea of a realistic story or like this doesn't follow along with what we realistically see in the world. So therefore yeah. anything can happen. So I'm down for that. I'm Show me, show me anything. I'm ready. Show me Let's time go. travel. Yeah. yeah. Which is the whole idea of time travel. So I watch time travel and I go, it's obviously impossible, you know? Uh, so what's being shown? Mental illness probably, you know, but speaking of like this I guess from your point of view and from most people's point of view probably it's a movie about time travel right so you are saying you do not believe that time travel is possible well it's just do you know I I I started to read I'm I'm a scientist I know time travel is impossible don't worry I'm not saying that I think it is the thing is well the thing is there are so many scientists that that do theorize about this and so like Mm. i did read into time travel i think time travel the most interesting way for me to talk about time travel is in the context of storytelling and filmmaking especially Mm. of how it's used to tell stories like that's when i I, that's when i'm like in the context of that i I find it much easier to talk about time travel so and i think Mm. a lot of movies really struggle to solve what's known as the time travel paradox. There are a few paradoxes about time travel. Yeah. The most famous one being you're going back in time to kill your father, to kill your grandfather, the grandfather paradox. Um, yeah. um, you know, if you go back in time and kill your grandfather, then how did, how did you exist? But that, that paradox is not in this movie, but there are other time travel paradoxes mm. in this movie. However, what I think this movie took this movie took a, a perspective on time travel, which is that you cannot change the future. It's rigid. And yes. the characters were not there to change the future. They were there to go back in time, get some information, mm. and take it to the future so that they could work on a cure for the future. And I find yeah. that, that, that perspective of time travel to be much more palatable. But unwittingly, well, yeah, because it, but they do sort of tempt you with the fact that he unwittingly did cause the whole thing, which that there was yeah. a red herring in the end, right? That he, he caused mm. it. That would have been a causal loop, a causal loop yeah. paradox, whatever it's called, where you, you see you travel, to you be travel honest, back in time, cause something to happen. Yeah. To me, that makes it a lot more, does make it a lot more realistic because, yeah, you can't, you can't come back in time and change the past because if you change the past, then you never created the future that existed in order for you to create the ability to go back in time and the need to go back in time to change the past so you can never do that yes Um, it's called the causal paradox but yeah i just i but in terms of this i really did enjoy that aspect of it i really did enjoy that aspect of it because it really did feel to me kind of like well yeah of course they're not gonna go back and try to stop it they can't stop it like Mm. they wouldn't exist themselves to have this idea if they stopped it so yeah. All right. Awesome. I liked the way they were doing it. <laughs> yeah. It, it, to me, it's the easiest way to incorporate time travel into a story is mm. to say, is to suggest that you can't change it because then you don't have to deal with that paradox. It's, so which what? Are, which are explaining. I've, I've got a really good example of a causal loop of, a, of the okay. causal paradox, right? 
Okay, so for example, let's just say in the year 3000, Sir it knows a lot. <laughs> sees. <laughs> Sir Ignozalot cool. sees a mathematical proof in a textbook and travels back in time to the person that invented the mathematical proof. So Abby, Abby's mathematical proof and shows it to you. And that's how you know it. And then you come up with a mathematical proof only because Sir <laughs> Ignozalot came back in time. <laughs> I have to do this again. <laughs> it just came to my head. I mean, what's wrong? Oh my god! I'll just start again. Okay, okay, okay. In the year two thousand one hundred, somebody finds a mathematical proof in a textbook written by you know Abby. So it's Abby's proof, and travels back in time and shows it to you as you're trying to figure it out. So that's where you got the proof from was the time traveler, mm-hmm. and so you put it down in the textbook. And it stays in the textbook until 2100 when the person sees it and travels back in time. The question is, where did the proof come from? That's yes. a causal loop. That's that's the paradox. So this one does make the suggestion that there is a causal loop here, but then they drops it, drops the suggestion and mm. says that actually what they did was just um, release a bunch of animals. And, and so, in fact, he didn't change it yeah. at all. But that leads me to something. I know it's a safe storytelling thing, but... That basically suggests that we have, it's like predestined, the future, that you can't change it. Why should the future be predestined? Why? Why can't you change it? Why is there something that's predestined? I guess because it's happened already because they're from the future. But I don't don't know that it says that the future is predestined. What it says is that you can't come back from that future and change it. Because that, if you you're coming back to. from that future, then that future has already occurred. So therefore, everything is predestined. That in this timeline, in this reality. By the way, that mm-hmm. line where he says, "This isn't the past. This isn't the future. This is the present." Best line of the movie. In so in the present, everything is predestined because someone has come back from the future. If someone never happened to come back from the future, will it still would it still be predestined? Why, why do we have destiny? Where does destiny come from? God? You know what I mean? Mm. Like, why? Why can't you change it? You should be able to change it. And then, of course, you have the issue with the causal paradox, which you should be able to change it, in my opinion. <laughs> in my opinion, if you are a time traveler but, back from the future, <laughs> you should be able to change the past. But, but I, I know, suppose then, it's course, not necessarily... It's not necessarily about, being, about not being able to change the past. It's about if you change the past then does that change if you go back and change the past so that the future that occurred that created you and your ability to go back in time and your need to go back in time is gone then you never went back in time to change the past and then you disappear at that point and that's how they know that it was a success you vanish there's a movie that does that actually where everyone just like okay. vanishes and like someone's foot disappears all this weird Lupa actually does a kind of weird thing like that yeah. yeah I don't think it's solvable I think the answer is like okay it's just there's no such thing yeah. as time travel well, <laughs> we're certainly not going to solve it speaking of predestiny and then we can go to the Cassandra the Cassandra complex Cassandra was someone who was gifted the, the gift of um, prophecy by some god but then she like refused his sexual advances and blah blah blah. And so she he cursed her that no one would ever believe you. 
So she would forewarn things and no one ever, ever believed her. So you acquire the label of Cassandra, who you keep warning of things. Um, so linking into the idea of like, why is the future predestined? And the idea of having somebody warning us about the future and we us labeling them as crazy because in the movie we decide what's crazy or not crazy based on the reality. I think that there's a really, really, really strong, can, um, I think there's a really strong analogy here to climate change right okay i think that what does it mean to have predestined calamity in our future which a lot of people believe we have we don't need time travels from the future to come and tell us we have people constantly warning us and nobody believing them who are effectively cassandras they warn of like impending disaster and everybody mocks them and nobody believes them right we're sort of facing that same situation of like this is foregone. Well, he's like, this is foregone. This is going to happen. There's nothing we can do about it. That brought up the question for me of like, is that true? Is it? Why should it be? I think it's because of our own like failings as humans that it's going to be like, it's not predestined as such. It's predestined because of our inability to heed the warnings of the Cassandras and to label mm-hmm. them as Cassandras. So I saw a, a um, there's an environmentalist called Alan Atkinson, and he wrote in 1999, right? Um, so to understand that humanity is on a collision course with the laws of nature is to be stuck in what he calls the Cassandra Dilemma, in which a person can see the most likely outcome of current trends and can warn people about what is happening, but the vast majority cannot or will not respond And later, if the catastrophe occurs, they might even blame the person as if their predictions set the disaster in motion, which is actually exactly what is suggested to happen in the movie where he's warning everybody. He unwittingly puts it in place and then they can say you didn't forewarn, you just made it happen, Um, which is kind of what we're facing with now. Um, Yeah, that's really. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's exactly what you just made me think when you said that. Uh, about the about the um the people who are warning and nobody listens it's like that whole situation I, I think I heard it in a podcast as well about um people's response uh, I think especially in the US like the states and towns responses to coronavirus because they're like if we mm. respond too quickly so if we respond really quickly really promptly yeah. really well then everyone's yeah. like oh you caused a fuss and a panic for nothing because nothing happened yeah. Then if you don't respond quickly enough, everyone's like, oh, but you didn't respond quick enough and you didn't do this and you didn't do that. And it's like, where's the, you, you will, people will always have something to say about it. They will always blame, they will blame you for not responding and they will blame you for responding. It's interesting. A hundred percent. And I, I had to just do some tribe traveling in my head and figure out episodes and how the episodes are lined up. But I'm pretty sure last week we did Dante's Peak and Volcano. <laughs> How funny yes. is this? Last week, oh we last week the episode was released, and this comes up as well. You don't want to warn people too early, you know. Yeah. But you want to avert calamity, and how do you play the politics of that? Essentially, it's a political thing. And with the coronavirus, that's a hundred percent what we saw. People were accusing um, uh, WHO first of overreacting and then underreacting later when their mm. reality basically perception of reality they decided it changes and isn't that true yeah. isn't that so that like we sort of decide 
this is the reality that we're perceiving now and we judge everybody as crazy or not crazy according to that reality and then it shifts and then it changes it's insane this movie is really really relevant and like there's these quotes which very much remind us of sort of our general failings as a society of like seeing well I don't want to use the word truth but you know we don't want to change the way we see things because we build so much around it and our unwillingness to change the way that we see things and we will walk into disaster and it's like with Cassandra it did happen when we'll just watch we'll we'll just watch helplessly and Cassandra watched helplessly Mm. when the soldiers emerged from the Trojan horse just just as she predicted just as she foresaw um and we are forced to sort of watch helplessly as as things happen um, and, and the more the chorus of Cassandra's grows and it grows and grows and grows with all these warning, like the worse that's, the more people are going to be standing there watching helplessly. Wow. Yeah. What a chat. Hey. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Good it's, old, it's, our first ever time travel. I'm, our first like ever, it. yeah, time travel. I, and our first pandemic. Our first time travel and pandemic, and it's all bringing climate change into together. I don't think we've discussed climate change much together. Mm. It's kind no, of inescapable. <laughs> oh wait, just wait. Oh no, really? <laughs> there's one. There's one other topic, which is mildly less uh, horrible to talk okay. about than um, climate change. But they do bring up animal captivity and animal mm. experimentation in. And it was a nice point in the movie. I did feel like it really did kind of give me that vibe of like you expected the bre- at the at the start the Brad Pitt character is just this kind of like, you know, Jeffrey is this um kind of innocent manic person who's just a bit kind of like, oh my god. And then when you meet him at the dinner, you're like, oh no, he is the bad guy. He's the villain. He's going to do all of this and there was just something very sweet and innocent about it at the end that like, no, he's not. He's not the mad no. scientist releasing the plague. He just wants the animals to be free. Yeah, he doesn't want animals to be locked up. Totally. Yeah. It was just something yeah. very sweet that that's what the army of the 12 monkeys was like. They're yeah. like, it's, it's about releasing, freeing from the cages. Because I guess, you know, he animals. was spending his time in his cage. Do you know? And yeah. it's like, 100%. you know, just because oh, you're... He was locked up, Abby. Totally. Yeah. He and was just because up. you're not... Just because you don't conform to the rules of the society outside that you're put in a cage. And so he was like, resonated with the animals. So that was cute. Ah, beautiful. So, the army of the 12 monkeys released the animals from the zoo. Yes. And the plague was not stopped. (laughs) No. So moving from the end of our deep dive into the cinematic eyes of Terry Gilliam, let's move shall we move into everyone's favorite segment is it time everyone's favorite segment <laughs> what the it's fuck everyone's favorite segment everyone's mine. <laughs> <laughs> let's play some music what the what the what the fuck right here we go frida oh am i huh? first <gasps> no yeah no wait let's go let's go okay so here we are so our what the fuck segment here we go frida what the fuck? What's your what the, what fuck? the fuck? Oh my god. <gasps> it has to be. It has to be when Catherine and James Cole are in the car and then he leaves the car to like freak out over the monkey sign and she 
sits in the car and goes, should I stay or should I go? (laughs) And stays. I went, oh, what the fuck? (laughs) This bonkers. 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 No excuse. She's it like, is so mm. weird. It's like, because it hasn't even really fully been established at that point that she has like a strong degree of sympathy towards him. Like at that point, up until then, she like, I, I remember that because it was like, she she's was terrified. really scared. She's crying. She's not just drive she's away. Insane. She's crying. How she's so terrified by him. I think maybe did. I'm not even. Sh- 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 no, he's terrifying. <laughs> terrifying yeah that was my what the fuck um it's a serious what the fuck it's a it's a serious criticism of a movie because i was gonna i was gonna talk about when the uh, a few other more wonkier things but that really was like (laughs) but um what was your what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) um mine was i picked a moment where something happened and i just could not understand why it was happening. Okay. So my what the fuck was... He ate the fucking spider. Oh my god. <laughs> what was happening? I was like, why is he so obsessed with the spider? And then he's caught the spider. And then he's... I was like, why is he hiding the spider? Is he actually crazy? Is he like belong in this place right now? He's hiding the spider from Jeffrey because he doesn't want Jeffrey to know. And then he fucking ate it. And I was just like, wait, What? He's returning because he, he, he has to bring it back to them. He's giving no, them samples. No, well, but then it, that's the thing. It gets explained later on. And then there's something like really vulnerable and sad about it. And he tries to explain that he's like, oh, I found a spider, but I would know where to put it. So I ate it. So he it's ate like, it. And then they're being like dicks because they're annoyed at him. And they're like blaming him for not doing a good job. So I was like, oh, fuck yourselves. But then like as they're putting him through the, the time thing again to go off back there's this that one scientist in the background and he's like pity about the spider cole try to do something like that again <laughs> it was like, they were trying to give him one little bit of like reassurance it's like no you did a good job trying to you eat did a it. really that- good job trying to eat it that was good that was a great idea <laughs> yeah <laughs> the point that i was going to pick was when he wakes up yeah and the scientists are like singing to him but i i just yeah. i loved that i loved how loony it's, they were it was so it was Oh, was that visionary. scene was so weird and just the singing and then we heard the, you like liked the songs. baby towel <laughs> yes, like bedspread with the oh bed just like what great i really so enjoyed it it was great um, we should put a shout out actually we would love to our lovely our lovely listeners or sam's with a silent tea out there we'd love to hear your what the fuck moments you should totally tag us on instagram if you have any what the fuck yeah, moments from 100%. any of these movies yeah um Right, final verdicts. Uh, Question number one is just mm. lol. <laughs> what's the what's the thing? Bechdel? Did did the God movie pass us. the Bechdel test, Frida? <laughs> it's a lol. I it it, it it not only doesn't pass it. <clears throat> it's really affecting me, Abby. Like I can't watch movies anymore I because I get so I'm just so caught up and like I know that this is a movie, a pod, I, know, I know that this is a podcast about science, but as I'm like revisiting movies more critically and as a female, uh, I just, I just, 
I just, I just, it just, like, it's like, I just can't handle it. Like, what I'm now noticing about so many movies. And, um, is it like every single movie apart from Annihilation? <laughs> is that it? Is that just what else? The... Yeah. No, well, there's a couple that we have said past it, but just because there was like a sentence between two people. Yeah. And just, just because there were literally only two people. Yeah. You know? But there's definitely, um, yeah, I wonder, do we need to maybe do more work in the movie choices? But then it's hard because like we have to find the movies. And, you know, I don't want to just look at the, a list. I mean, there is a Bechdel test list out there you can check. Um, well, we can do it. There and, are a couple that we have to do and we will do. We will do. Um, yeah. Know, obvious ones, I guess. Yeah, but it's just it's just a thing. It's a thing that has happened for many, many years. People are aware of it yeah. now. So more of an yeah. effort is being put in. Um, it's life we are aware yeah we're aware just yeah so and you know it's 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 upsetting for every time we do this (laughs) just have to say no it did not pass the Bechdel test but no it did not no it did not pass the Bechdel test so yeah but did it pass the here comes the science bit well I mean we didn't have the we didn't really have the here comes the science bit in this movie so I guess it did pass in that respect because we didn't get the stupid big explanation but the science itself for you um yeah, like I think, d- yeah, definitely, definitely. Because yeah. um, firstly, if you're going to take the time travel perspective, then I think the fact that it had like a closed um, approach to it, that we mm. don't change the future, we just go in to get a sample and come back. Like I think there's no causal paradox and we feel like if you're going to tell a movie, uh, something about time travel, but then of course if you look at it like a delusion, which... Um, you know, I I do. You think it is, yeah. <laughs> um, then doesn't you know? Obviously, it doesn't matter because we're talking mm. about the fact that he's he's concocting something in order to cope with his you know his psychosis, psychotic break, yeah. or whatever he's experiencing is unclear. Um, and so from that point of view, sure. yeah, that's fair. Why not, baby? <laughs> yeah, I think I think I agree with you. I think it was um, I think I think it was done quite well. The you know the the actions of Catherine as a scientist herself was not where I would be going with the idea of it, but the science itself was pretty all right. Uh, yeah. Final verdicts. Do you want to give it some monkeys out of five? I'll give it <laughs> twelve monkeys. I'll give it four and a half out of five. Ooh, that's a big Just, number, man. Yeah, it is. I mean, <laughs> this movie's amazing. It's it's such an amazing <laughs> movie, and I want more movies like it. Although I won't, I won't make you watch them. But I, I just think the half a star for me is lost because there's a bit like there's some plot problems with the like Catherine having memories yeah. of her future. What does that say? And also just her decisions and her representation as a psychiatrist falling in love with a hot patient. It's it's inappropriate and um you know it's not fair to psychiatry (laughs) (laughs) what's your verdict um i am gonna go with three and a half monkeys 3.5 okay that's actually Um, a big big score yeah no like i said i'm uh, like it's really important to me i think probably just because because of spending so many years in theater it's it's really important to me that when we talk about movies we it's not just about whether you like it or not. You know, you, okay. you you don't just shit on a movie just because it's not your type of a movie. There was still a huge amount of people that went to work. You know, they went in, they did their job. They designed sets. They freaking yep. 
came up with soundscapes. They, like, you know, Brad Pitt worked with doctors and watched videos of manic patients. And, you know, you've got cinematographers and freaking people who just get coffee. Like, there's enough people are there trying to make something good that just because it's not my type of movie, yeah. I'm never going to say it's a bad movie. I will always try. I would always like us to try to find something positive, even in the really crap ones. Yeah. FYI, next week. But anyway. Oh, no. <laughs> but... Yeah, so I do think like 3.5 because it's a good movie and it just loses yeah. the stars for me, the monkeys, for me just because it's just not my type of movie. So, and for me, yeah. it's about how a movie makes you feel. And because it's not my type of movie, it didn't make me feel the way I want to feel watching a movie. And if it, if I, yeah. that's probably the reason why I've never watched it because it's never been something that's um, yeah. really kind of sang to me. But I'm glad I watched it. I am happy I watched it. I'm happy that I know it now and I can see the value in it. So, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Well, I had the movie choice this week. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to do something which is like fairly well known that I never saw before. Something that's a lot more of a success. Um, something with some serious, some, some seriously serious issues that it deals with and that we took pretty seriously considering. Um, but Abby... It is your choice to pick the movie for our next episode in two weeks. What are you choosing? I'm hiding. Oh. Because I'm scared. <laughs> okay. Because I've picked... Is it not serious? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was trying to be serious. I don't know. I have picked a blockbuster disaster movie that's gonna really do some hard work tackling the traumas Issues. of climate change <laughs> giving you a climate change movie but don't worry because jared butler is gonna fix it we are doing geostorm i just have to quickly <laughs> have to quickly we've Google had this. a couple of We've had a couple of serious movies in a row now, so we, we just Geo need to... I feel like Storm. we need to... You Google. know, we've had a, we've had a few Google serious this. movies. We're going to bring something that was made a little bit more recently. It's only a couple of years old. Oh my God, I'm so excited. 16% <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes. This is going to be amazing. 16%. It's basically zero. I'm so excited. And you will find out why. Someone to laugh at. I can't wait. Yeah, no, we're gonna have fun with this one. We're definitely gonna have fun. This one. I think you're really gonna enjoy it. Comic relief. <laughs> yeah. Comic relief. Oh, I really am very excited. Oh my god, that's exciting! Okay. And don't forget to catch. Yep. I think the last of our mini series next week before that episode should oh, be. Yes. Yeah, and it will be. What's the last one of our mini series? Well, I mean, it keeps us on the theme of climate change issues with our '90s disaster movies, right? But this one is a yeah. new one. So, oh, that uh, yeah. is true. A so book ending. Yeah. Oh my god! Did you did you do that on purpose? Bookend our nineties <laughs> with Independence Day and Geostorm. Did you do that on purpose? Did you do that on purpose? It wasn't did you? on purpose. It wasn't on purpose. Okay, I'm well, sorry. We're gonna have a nineties disaster fest followed by Geostorm. <coughs> Catch us next week mm. for close us um, off with Titanic. Titanic. And then in two weeks for Geostorm. So, <clears throat> if you'd like to join yeah. us, please do. Yeah. Um, join us in two weeks. Uh, give us a rating if you have some time. That would be awesome. And subscribe to the podcast, whatever your chosen player is. 
thank you for listening and if you would like to get in contact you can email us on scienceofthemovies at gmail.com or you can catch us on instagram at scienceofthemovies thanks for listening that was definitely a more serious episode for sure Mm -hmm.